0: You're listening to audio from St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. church. How's the St. Luke family this morning? You're looking good. I like it. Let's dive right in. Uh, Luke chapter 1, picking up with the story of Zechariah, the prophecy, I should say, of Zechariah. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Question this morning. How many of us want to be closer to God? That's good. That brings me encouragement today. A deeper question, how many of you feel like you have seasons where you are closer to God, and in those seasons you're excited to get up for worship on a Sunday morning rather than push the snooze? You're excited to get to your group to see what you learn. You're ready to study the Scriptures more, to pray harder, to be more generous. To serve, you feel like everything has your name on it. Doesn't that usually accompany those seasons of feeling closeness to God? And then have you noticed that in the seasons you don't feel so close to God, you're ready to push the snooze not once or twice, but maybe three times on a Sunday morning? The group, you can find lots of great activities to do that night. The kids or the grandkids, or there's a game on. You're maybe not as excited to invite people to church, maybe not as excited to serve, and maybe not feeling as generous in the moment. Have you ever felt that? How many of you feel like it's a roller coaster between one and the other? I hope you've looked around this morning and you recognize you're not alone, and I hope you realize that uh, I'm in the same struggle as you are. I think we have these moments where we feel very close to God and other moments where we feel as though God is very far away. And I wonder if Zechariah, for most of his life, wondered, God, where are you? Now Zechariah's story is that he is part of the tribe of Abijah. He is part of the lineage of priests who came back after the exile, they rebuilt the temple They had repented, they had started to rebuild, they were waiting for a Messiah, we're told in the Scriptures that Zechariah is a righteous man. And just so you don't miss how important that is, we don't get that a whole lot in Scripture. When we read he's a righteous man, God's saying he's one of the kingpins of the clique here. This is a guy who knows him, and yet I wonder how often Zechariah felt that close to God because he didn't have any children, And in that era, that bore with it a certain kind of stigma. And so I kind of picture him praying and wondering, God, when are you going to move? When are you going to return? When's the Messiah coming? Year after year after year, he visited the temple. He was faithful along the way. And yet this is a temple that Ezekiel told us almost 500 years before God had left. I wonder if he felt as though he were going through the motions a number of times. I wonder if he wondered when God was going to move in his life. And then, one day, as he's standing near the holy place, we read that the angel Gabriel comes and visits him and says, here's the deal. You're going to have a son, and he's going to turn people and their hearts back to God. And in a moment's notice, Zechariah says, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Let me put that into 2023 terms. Are you serious right now? Are we close? Yeah, are are, are you serious right now, God? And how many of us this morning, as we read the story, as external observers of it, rather than participants, are thinking... Come on, bro. I mean, you've been waiting for this to happen, and now when it happens, really, this is what we get? Are you serious right now? Why is it that when God shows up, we really aren't sure what to do? You notice that? It doesn't come on our timing or according to the way that we would expect or with a neatly wrapped package that has perfect instructions that we know what to do with it. How often do we miss the moment Can you really do that, God? Are you sure that's within your pay grade? I mean, there's not some kind of philosophical issue with that. There's not some problem with your power or human freedom or us getting in your way. God, are you really sure you can do that? I think our tendency is to think as as such that it isn't God's plan for us to be close to him, that he's somehow off there, up there, unknowable, and yet what the arc of Scripture shows us is that God has always desired to be close to us. In fact, you look at Scripture and where it starts in Genesis chapter 2, God forms us from the dust of the earth and breathes into us the breath of life. We're meant to have the same stuff of God indwelling us. That's how close God desires to be to us. And then when we leave and are banished from the garden, God goes looking for a people and delivers them. From the Egyptians and through the Red Sea. And what does he say? He says, here's the deal. I love these people so much. I want to be so close to them. I'm willing to live in the Coleman tent as they caravan throughout the desert. And so the Spirit of God comes and fills the tabernacle. And if that's not good enough, they build a temple. And God comes and fills the temple, temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And then Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 10 that the Spirit of God departs from being among the people. And then they're stuck with the same question that we are. God, when will I be close to you? When will I feel you or know you or experience more of you? I don't feel very close to you right now. But there's these promises along the way, like in the book of Joel, that God will pour out His Spirit on all of us, or the book of Ezekiel, that God will raise us up as dead and dry bones, a new army of God for the world. There's this promise that we're given. And yet the hard part is we've got to wait how many people like waiting? Yeah, not one. Not at all. I mean, waiting's horrible, isn't it? Isn't there a fast pass for that? Or do you know somebody? Can you get us in? Is there a way we can cut this? Can we order it from Amazon instead? That'd be a whole lot easier. I mean, there's nothing like the misery of waiting in a store where they have 35 checkout lanes and only two are working. (laughs) Yes? Yes? Or going to one of those craft stores on Black Friday, and it's busy, and you're going to wait and wait and wait and wait and wonder, oh my gosh, I'm going to miss the return of Jesus, (laughs) or the Cats game later, or whatever it is. We're not very good at waiting. We're not wired that way. Get me out of waiting. I don't like waiting. Nobody likes waiting. It's horrible. And yet, that seems to be the way that God works. And so as the people are waiting, they hung on some scripture. The very last book of the Old Testament is the book of Malachi, and there's this promise that Malachi shares with the people. He says this, Behold, I'll send my messenger, say it with me, messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek, that's the Messiah, say it with me, Messiah. Messiah. The Messiah will suddenly come to his temple. So there's this plan before the end of the Old Testament, that there's going to be a messenger and a Messiah. Malachi foretells it. It's going to happen. This is about 500 years or so before the time Jesus comes around. There's this promise of a messenger and a Messiah. And you'll have to forgive me because my scripture scripture reference here is wrong. It should read Malachi 4-2, not 5-2. I got a little excited. I wanted him to keep going. Malachi four two says, "But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness—that's Messiah language—shall rise with healing in its wings." And and goes on to say, "And Malachi 5, four five, not five five four five. I got a little excited. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet—that's the messenger—before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes." And so there's a messenger and there's a Messiah, which the book of Malachi has promised there's some alliteration for you today. And here's the thing, there grew this prophecy about the Messiah, about this verse, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in His wings. And this word wing, same word for corner, corner as in hem of a garment. That when the Messiah comes, there would be power even in the hem of his garment. So, is it really that surprising? We read later in Luke's gospel that there would be a woman with a blood disease who would just try to touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Why? Because she wanted to be close to him. And it wasn't as though she was crazed, not at all. She believed Jesus was the Messiah. So there's a Messiah that's coming and, and what Malachi leaves us with, almost the last words of the Old Testament is this, I'm going to send you a messenger, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he'll turn the hearts of his fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then everything goes silent for 500 years. You ready to wait that long? For 500 years it goes silent. Zechariah does his temple duty year after year after year waiting. Are we there yet? Are you going to grant me the desires of my heart? Are you going to return? God, are you going to send the Messiah with, who's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings? Are you going to send a messenger? And I think we're a lot like Zechariah. God, I want to be closer to you. Where are you? God, are you going to move? God, are you going to do something? God, I'm hurting. Will you please heal me? God, uh, our family isn't as close as I want it to be. I want it to be more connected. Are you going to move? God, I have people in my family who are MIA when it comes to the kingdom. When are you going to move in their lives? God, when are you going to do something? And it's hard to wait on God, isn't it? Why? Well, I think for this simple reason. It's hard to wait on God because most everything else in our lives is an instant gratification. Cuz I can order it on Amazon. And I can DVR it and watch it later and miss the commercials. And I can skip the line, I can go to another store, I can buy a fast pass. I Why would I want to wait? It's always at my fingertips. And then the funny part is, when God does show up, what do we do? We start speaking and acting and doing really, really fast. Have you ever noticed that? The angel Gabriel shows up and says, here's the deal. You're going to have a son. He's going to turn the hearts of the people back to God. He's going to be the forerunner. It's going to be fantastic. And what's the first thing that Zechariah does? He goes, hey, I don't think you can do that. We speak and we act too quickly, don't we? And yet what God says is, well, I can do anything, anywhere, anytime, with anyone in any way that I want. I've been telling you that for five years. You believe this? See, you still don't, you still don't believe it. That's, that's what I'm struggling with. <laughs> I mean, it's been one message, friends. Let's go. (laughs) If Zechariah would have looked at what the prophet Malachi had said, and he would have listened to what the angel Gabriel would have said, he would have recognized that God was getting ready to do something powerful, changing, turn the world upside down kind of thing. And so we've got to ask ourselves, where did the Old Testament end? It ended with a messenger and a... Okay, you're listening. I like it. it. ended with a messenger and a Messiah. Where does the New Testament, the new thing that God is doing, begin? With a messenger and a Messiah. God's up to something, yes? Oh, come on, people. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, all right. It's up to something. God's on the move. But we miss it because we tend to look for the wrong things and listen to the wrong people. And so while you're waiting, while you're praying to be closer to God, don't stop pressing in. What are the sources that are providing you that life? Well, it's Scripture and prayer and worship and inviting and serving and generosity. It's a small group that you study with. They help you press into the things of God. And as you begin to look at what God is doing around you and you begin to listen for the voice of God at work in your life, you're going to realize something, that God's plans aren't your plans, that God's ways are not your ways, that God's timetable is not based on the hands on your timex. Are we tracking? This is how God works. God's up to something big, and yet we so often miss it. And I think that's what Zechariah came to, to appreciate so deeply in his life. And he gave us the prophecy which we read this morning. Take a look at it. Some of you are thinking, that font is way too small. <laughs> That's good. That's the point. If you take the entire passage, I want you to, to see two pieces that he came to realize. The horn of, this, of salvation, the Messiah was on the way, and the prophet of the Most High was going to be his son, the messenger. Zechariah embraced the plan with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He realized that God had answered his prayers. Did he have to wait? You better believe it. But God was on the move. God was getting ready to do something big, and it left Zechariah a changed man to realize that the sun of righteousness from Malachi 4.2 was the sunrise that would visit them from on high. God was getting ready to do a new thing. He wasn't sure what to do when God showed up. He spoke, he acted, and what did God do? He made him mute. He said, you're not going to be able to say a word I'll make you wait. You want to wait a little longer? How's nine months? How's that? Let's do that. Let's do that nine-month thing together. I want you to spend more time looking and listening. And as Zechariah looked at Malachi and he listened to those words that Gabriel had given him, on the other side of the trial that he went through came a really powerful testimony. Isn't that how it works in our lives? Who here has been through a trial and couldn't stop talking about what God did once it was over? Amen. I mean, you can't shut that person up. You know what I'm saying? They will tell you again and again and again, look at what God has done in my life. And they're not quiet about it. They shout it out. Here it is. Listen, I'll tell you again. You missed it. God can do anything, anywhere, anytime with anyone in any way he wants. You believe it? Yeah. Hey, look at that. Absolutely. You can't shut them up. Why don't we celebrate that way in worship? I mean, we shout down the road about, what, two, three miles from here, four or five miles from here. But we get to church and it's like, (laughs) did you see them? They were a little too excited today. (laughs) What's up with that? When you have a testimony and you've come through trial, you can't help but shout out what the Lord has done in your life. And some of you here today, you want to be closer to God. Some of you who are connected with us online today, you want to be closer to God and you're going through a trial and you feel like God is out to lunch or in a traffic jam or the cell phone service in Lexington, which can drive you crazy, friends. But if you look and if you listen, you'll recognize he's already at work. He's already doing something in your life. Zechariah prayed for years, I bet. And when it came to pass, when the son was born, he couldn't stop talking about what God was doing and had done in his life. How about you? How are you sharing the testimony of what God has done in your life. You say, I don't know, I'm still not convinced, so I want to give you a practice this morning. We're 21 days to Christmas Eve. Can you believe that? How'd that happen? I'm still working on July. Anybody else with me? (laughs) I got stuff to do. 21 days. So for the next 21 days, here's what I would love for you to do. Go get a paper calendar. You're like, what is that? This works better with a paper calendar. Get a paper calendar. And there are two practices I would love for you to do for the next 21 days. The first one is listening. And so here's how this works. In the morning, when you wake up, I want you to set a timer. Let's start with three minutes. You're like, I got that. What about five? Great. Good for you. Let's go. And here's the prayer. It's one line. Are you ready? God, I've spoken to you my entire life. Help me now to listen. That's the prayer. And then you listen. And you, whatever thoughts or feelings or words come to mind, I want you to recognize what they are. And with one word, summarize it on your calendar. Today God said, you need some joy. So I put joy on the calendar. And then when the day is over, I would love it if you would talk to family or friends or your accountability partner or your small group, whoever it is, I'd love for you to have the practice of looking for the ways that God was at work in your life for the day. So you listen in the morning and then throughout the day look at look at what God is doing and at the end of the day with people you love and you care about you look at the things that God did like sometimes the victory is I survived the little people I'm raising Sometimes the victory for the day is I was kind to the coworker who kills me Sometimes the victory for the day is I went outside this morning and the sun was shining. I went, yes, God, I'm reminded of your faithfulness every morning that you make the sun rise. Whether I think it's a great day or a bad day, you're at work. So write it down. Sun didn't kill the kids, whatever it is. And at the end of 21 days of looking and listening, I bet if you look back on that calendar, you're going to recognize God was much closer than you think. Amen? Amen. And isn't that how God works? We tend to think He's out there and up there and away from here, and yet He's right here among us. That's what it's all about. We can get so lost in the chaos of Christmas, can't we? We can get stuck in the grind of life like Zechariah did. And yet if we'll stop and we'll look and we'll listen, I imagine you're going to find a messenger and a Messiah not too far away. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you're faithful that your timing is definitely not our timing and your ways definitely are not our ways. And yet your timing and your ways are perfect. And so God, we pray in these next 21 days you'll help us to look and listen for you. To see that you are much closer than we think and to bring our hearts nearer to you through great spiritual practices you've given us throughout the ages. Jesus, we confess there are times you're not Lord or Savior or leader in our lives. And today we want to lay him down at the foot of the cross. Change our hearts, we pray. And as we come forward for communion this time of being with one another as a family here at St. Luke, and a time of being together with you. May you inspire wonder and awe in each one of us that you're the God who comes down. You're the God who is always at work. Be at work in our lives today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.